Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom with our host, Bob Olson, who will now introduce today's show and speaker. WCAT Radio proudly presents I Thought You'd Like to Know This, which is a very interesting program bringing you outstanding personalities who may have a message for you. And tonight we have a very illustrious guest. His name is Dr. Gregory Popchak. He's the founder and executive director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute, an organization dedicated to helping Catholics find faith-filled solutions to tough marriage, family, and personal problems. He's an internationally recognized expert on the practical applications of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body to Marriage, Family, and Personal Issues. I love his profile, but we'll talk more about that later. So here he is. Welcome, Dr. Greg Popchak. Thanks for having me, Bob. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And uh, I thought we'd start out with uh, finding out a little bit about your background. Now, you were a cradle Catholic. Yes, uh, I was raised in the church, um, but I would have to say uh, the, the most formative aspect of, of my, my growing up uh, was being raised essentially in the charismatic renewal. My, uh, uh, you know, I was born in 1967 in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh, where actually the, the renewal started on Duquesne University's campus in Pittsburgh, and my parents were involved. Um, and then we, you know, they started taking me to, to prayer meetings when I was about four or five years old, and my mom uh, was 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 frustrated because uh, no other you know no other parents were bringing their children um, and she felt that uh, that uh, you know the prayer should be something that families did um, and so she went to the ministry leader and said you know you guys ought to have something for kids and he said great next week you can start something so she started a children's ministry and I kind of went through what they call life in the spirit uh, seminar at a very early age before my first confession even and it and it really took i had a I had a very powerful wow. experience of uh, of of god um you know and and uh really kind of blew me away you know and, and so i went i went up you know through all the different sacraments just really having a, a, a kind of a deep kind of personal emotional connection to um uh, to, to to what I was experiencing in those sacraments, and uh, you know, just kind of spent the rest of my life trying to figure out exactly what was going on <laughs> by studying and learning really? about the faith. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a different story, but uh, but it, it's you know, the faith has always been very powerful and very important to me. And uh, you know, even in those times whenever I've struggled and had my doubts and frustrations with the church, just like everybody else, I I, I would always hear in my head those words. Uh, from the apostles, you know, Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. To whom shall we go? You know, I, I, I knew that the church was the church. You know, the place that uh, I was going to receive God in the most powerful and personal way. And so I, I, I had to stick with it, even if I, even in those times when I did feel frustrated or, or struggled with my own doubts. So, it's been, it's been. Well, a good now my, myself, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1981. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So we're. You're uh, you're not as old as I am, that's for sure. Yeah. But um, what 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 is? Of course, the thing happened at Duquesne in 1968. So uh, mm-hmm. what year was it when you uh, uh, oh, God, were? Oh, uh, have been uh, 73, 74, somewhere in there. 73. So it was right in there, huh? Yep. Yep. That's beautiful. In fact, uh, Tom Mangan was uh, Dave Mangan's brother. Dave Mangan was one of the original people at the Ark and the Dove. Uh, the the, the uh, retreat center where the charismatic renewal was started, and uh, Tom was Dave's brother, and he was actually the leader of our our prayer group uh, in Pittsburgh. Wow! Started the, uh, the 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 children's ministry. Don't you love Don't you love Dave Mangan? I I didn't yeah, met his brother. I didn't. Yeah, terrific. I mean, the whole group, Detroit. I mean, what a center, huh? What a center of uh, icons, really. I call them. But uh, so then. Um, you went to high school, and uh, you were in Pittsburgh then, huh? I was, yeah. Actually, I, I was pretty yeah. sure from second grade on that I was going to be a priest. Um, cool. uh, and so I kind of held on to that through high school. And, you know, I mean, I, 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 I considered other possibilities, and I, and I dated and, you know, all that. But uh, but underneath it all, I was, I was pretty sure I was going to end up in the seminary. And uh, after I graduated high school, 
I did actually go to uh, uh, St. Paul Seminary in Pittsburgh, uh, where actually now Cardinal Whirl was the rector, uh, Father Father Donald Whirl then, and uh, he was and I was part of his uh, vocations team. You know, he would go around and preach at different parishes, and the seminarians would be part of providing the music for the for the liturgy and. Um, so you know he he and he taught a couple of the classes at the seminary. So I had good good formation there as well. But then I after after that first year of my freshman year of college, I I really discerned that that I wasn't called to to the, the priesthood. That I I wanted to be in ministry of some sort. But but I realized that that there are lots of different ways to minister uh, that hadn't actually occurred to me <laughs> before that point. And so I, I ended up at uh, Franciscan University, where I finished my undergraduate degree in uh, psychology and theology at that time. Now, how did you uh, how did you start into writing then? Well, um, you know, I was in practice uh, for a couple of years and in a regular private practice in in Weirton, West Virginia, um, which is right across the river from Steubenville, where I live now. Right. And um, yeah, you know, I, I had been. Doing some some writing at the time. At the time, desktop publishing was the big thing. It's, it was the new fad. Everybody and their uncle had a zine of some sort or another, and so I was doing some writing for some different parenting zines that were out at the time. Um, and uh, there was a guy you might even know him. His name is Mike Aquilina. I call him the, the six. Oh degrees. yes, uh, yeah. See, I, I call him the six degrees of Aquilina because everybody, absolutely everybody, knows him. Um, but uh, he he actually read some of the uh, stuff that I'd written. And uh, at the time, he was the editor of New, Co- New Covenant magazine, which was a big charismatic uh, publication. Um, and it was published by our Sunday Visitor. And he, he liked uh, the articles and, and had me start writing for a New Covenant. Um, and then Greg Erlinson, who was the publisher of OSV, read those articles and uh, asked me to do my first book, which was uh, For Better Forever, A Catholic Guide to Lifelong Marriage, which originally came out in 1999 um, and now is in its uh, second edition that uh, was just revised uh, in 2014. So that, that's been going strong for, for quite a while. But that was the first book, um, and that was really the thing that started it all, because, um, like I said, I was in private practice at the time, and that, that book came out, and I started getting calls from Catholics all over the country um, looking for faithful resources to turn to when they, you know, in, their, in times of trouble, both for their marriage and family lives as well as their personal lives. And I didn't have any place to send them. So I thought, well, you know, I'll try to do some work over the telephone. Let's see what happens with that, and that'll be my little gig for the church. I'll do a couple of sessions on the side here, and you know, within six months, wow. I closed my face-to-face practice because I was getting so many calls from from people all over the the, the world by that time, and oh, so I, I started going into Catholic uh, pastoral telecounseling from that time forward, um, and it's just grown since then. Now we have seven counselors working full time, um, seeing upwards of, of forty clients a week. Uh, over 12,000 sessions a year altogether with Catholic couples, families, individuals all over the world. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it, our, our mission is really to to apply the principles of Pope St. John Paul the Great's theology of the body to the challenges of everyday marriage, family, and, 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 and personal life, um, and, and really also advance the cause of, of a Catholic integrated approach to psychotherapy. Now, um did you? When did you get connected with uh, Holy uh, with uh, Saint Sebastian? I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> got a Steubenville. <laughs> oh, with, with Steubenville or, or with, with Holy Apostles? Steubenville, Steubenville, yeah. Uh, well, I, I uh, like I said, I went there in, as uh, my, my, my freshman year of college. Uh, so I left the seminary right. at Saint Paul's in Pittsburgh, and I, I went to uh, Steubenville in my uh, sophomore year. And then that's actually where I met my wife, Lisa, who's the co-host of uh, our radio program, More to Life, that airs on EWTN, and she's a co-author of, of uh, several of our books. And uh, so we met there my junior year. We got engaged after two months, which was insane, uh, and got married exactly a year later, the day after graduation. And 29 years later, we're going strong. Wow. <laughs> That's we don't beautiful. do anything by halves around here. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So, uh, but but you're on the faculty now at uh, Steubenville. Uh, well, at, I'm on adjunct faculty at, at uh, Franciscan, but I'm on the right. I'm, I'm now the uh, the program director of the uh, Maps program, the Masters in Pastoral Studies program at Holy Apostles College and Seminary. Right. That's, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because uh, now is is this. Are you starting? Is this your first year? 
It is. Yeah, actually, um, yeah. around this time last year, uh, Dr. Daniel Ben um, it got in touch with me because he was looking for someone to teach a methods and counseling course, uh, and it needed to be developed, so he asked if I'd be interested in doing that, and one thing led to another. We started talking, and I agreed to the course, but I also, in looking at the course catalog, just really felt like there, there were lots of different ways that the, the program could grow um, and, 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 and do even more to be able to be a blessing to the church and to help prepare uh, future leaders in the church. And so in the course of our conversations with, with uh, Dr. Van Slyke and then uh, Dr. Mahfoud and, and uh, others as well, uh, Dr. Tulin, um, finally got up to Father Mosey, who, of course, is the president of the, uh, the college. And, um, you know, and so one thing led to another, and, and I was uh, offered a few months ago the opportunity to um, be the, the, the program director of the MAPS program, the Master's in Pastoral Studies program, which is going to a fully online format. Um, and uh, we're very excited about that. In fact, uh, I just uh, finished a program with uh, one of the graduates of, uh, of the Pastoral Studies program who has a Master's of Arts in that uh, program. And uh, he has started a radio program called Bereavement Miracles. Mm. And uh, what he did, he had been in um, AA for 30 years, I think, and he, he set up a 12-step program for bereavement uh, people. And it's very interesting. And he, these are all distance learning programs, right? Yes, yes. Um, and the, the, yeah. the math program is, is a distance learning program. Um, you know, and, and people might wonder, well, what is pastoral studies exactly? You know, is it like, is it theology, is it ministry? And, is, and I guess the answer to that would be yes. You know, it is, it is theology and ministry. It, it's really all about um, exploring more effective ways uh, to communicate the, the, the teachings of our church in a manner that, that actually resonates with the lived experience of the faithful. And it's also about the, the studying the science of accompaniment, if you will. You know, Pope Francis talks a lot about accompaniment, the, uh, the, the ways that we, uh, we, we are to be with others, especially who are struggling, and to walk with them in ways that lead them into a deeper experience of their faith um, and a deeper encounter with the Lord. Um, but, you know, th that's, that's complicated. And the reality is there's a lot of really good science that talks about what does healthy accompaniment look like? How can we move people from that place of suffering that they're in to the place where they can be open and receptive to God's grace more and to his healing more? And so that's, that's what pastoral studies is really all about, uh, understanding and exploring ways to communicate uh, the deeper truths of our faith in a manner that, that, that it really kind of gets to the heart of things, but also learning how to truly accompany people in, in effective ways that lead them both to healing and a, a personal encounter with Christ. Well, he really got set on fire, that's for sure, because uh, and putting, putting that get program together, and he has a Bereavement Miracles workbook, and uh, that, that was such a, a beautiful thing that happened to him and how he's passing it along now to these people that have lost their loved ones. Mm, and uh, ministry. it is it's really something and uh so i was excited when i heard that um that you know you were going to be the new director well, I was and uh <laughs> now what about that, that franciscan uh what what's uh, your role there well, like I said, I, was, I, I have been on the adjunct faculty, um, so that means, you know, basically an outside professor kind of coming in to teach one class a semester. Uh, in the past, I've taught courses in the sociology and psychology departments. Um, I taught uh, Christianity and Society, which was a sociology course that looked at um, basically how uh, our, our, our faith uh, is communicated uh, to, to society. And... Uh, and then we, I also taught uh, one of my favorite classes, Spirituality and the Helping Professions, which was all about uh, having a spiritually integrated approach to counseling and psychotherapy. Um, and then in the Graduate Theology Department, I taught Pastoral and Spiritual Direction, where we really focused, it on, focused in on uh, helping people develop the skills that were necessary to, to, to enter into a spiritual direction and the sort of the mystical theology tradition of the Church. I love your profile here. It says that since 2001, you and your wife have, um, like you mentioned, several, have hosted several nationally syndicated 
call in radio advice programs, including Heart, Mind, and Strength. Is that still on uh, Ave Maria? No, actually, we, we retooled that program probably in 2010 or 11, um, and it's, not, it, it's, it's still on the air, but it's a different name, different format. And, uh, it's, 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 no, more to Life? Is more that the life. one, That's More right. to Life? That's yeah. right. Okay. So More to Life and then, uh, Incarnation. And Fully Alive on uh, Sirius? Yes, uh, for, for about three years we ran both programs. So at the time, uh, Heart, Mind, and Strength was on at noon, and, uh, and Fully Alive was on at, uh, from 10 to midnight weekdays oh, wow. on, on, on the Catholic Channel, which is uh, Sirius 129, one click down from where I am now. So we did that for about three years, and that, that was tough going, i got to say, the, you know, being on the radio split like that. Um, so after about three years, uh, we, we decided to, to take a break from that. But we continued doing Heart, Mind, and Strength, um, until we retooled it, like I said, in about 2010 or 11, and it became More to Life, which is really all about um, unpacking the teachings of, of Pope St. John Paul uh, and, and really applying the ideas of the theology of the body to challenges of everyday life. So that program has been going since then, and just as, as, uh, as of this past August, August 15th, actually, the Feast of the Assumption, we were picked up by uh, the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, so we're on somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 terrestrial Catholic radio stations and then Sirius XM 130 now, with the one up from where we used to be. And interesting that you've been on Fox News, uh, NPR, mm -hmm. Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, Ladies Home Journal, and the National Enquirer. That's National Enquirer, there you go. That one, that one was a surprise. Yeah, I got a, came home with a voicemail message from a reporter from the National Enquirer. I was wondering what I'd done. Um, but I, I, yeah, I had a book come out. It's still out, actually. It's, uh, it's, it's my one secular title called The Exceptional 7% Nine Secrets of the World's Happiest Couples. And so he wanted to interview me about that. So um, that, book, uh, that, that interview was published right below a story about, I want to say it was a story about Joan Crawford or something like that. But anyway... <laughs> Coming back from the dead or something, well, I don't remember now. But yeah, that, that, was, that was a hoot, i got to say. <laughs> Tell us about the uh, World Meeting of Families in Philadelphia. Right. Well, yeah, my wife and I, Lisa and I, were, were uh, honored to be uh, featured breakout speakers at the 2015 World Meeting of Families. Um, and I also uh, was given the honor of, of uh, introducing Bishop Barron uh, at the inaugural talk for the opening ceremonies of the, of the World Meeting as well. So that was really exciting. Uh, I think I was probably more excited to introduce Bishop Barron than I was to do our own talk. But, but uh, the, the talk went really very well. It was, it was specifically focusing on um, what, I, what we like to refer to as the, kind of the marks of the Catholic family. What are the things that really make a Catholic family able to live out the faith as fully as possible in their home, you know, without it, although without it on the one hand being oppressive, uh, or on the other hand, you know, just sort of being a footnote. You know, how, how do you really live that Catholic difference in family life? And so we, we really looked at that throughout the course of the talk, and it was, it was very, very well received. It was a wonderful experience the whole week. Um, it was just tremendous. Uh, we, we really loved being there, and it was an honor to be invited. Tell us about this uh, Harold Abel School of Behavioral Health. Uh, you say it's at Capella University? Yeah, Capella University is a, is a for-profit online um, uh, college you know, university, and uh, so I, I, I teach for them in their doctoral program of human services. Um, it's a, uh, so it's a PhD program in human services counseling, and I, I teach uh, a, a bunch of a bunch of highfalutin courses like epistemology of practice knowledge. Um, so, which is just basically how do you know what you know in practice, and, and, and how do you know that the information you're relying on to treat people is actually good information? So, that's the one course I teach for them there. But I've been with them since can you, 2008. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your work in uh, uh, theology of the body? You work with Chris, uh, Christopher West, or we're we're, you, we're colleagues, yeah, and, and friends, uh, good friends actually. Uh, we, we we blurb each other's books, you know, and uh, he sends a lot of clients our way, uh, and and we 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 really uh, have a lot of uh, our families are close. Um, but but we haven't studied together or anything like that. Um, you know, we we yeah. up in different ways. But uh, the, the, the theology of the body, actually I was introduced to the theology of the body when I was still at Franciscan University as an undergrad. Um, Dr. Alan Schreck, 
um, who is the author of some oh, of yeah. books. Yeah, the Catholic and Christian is one of the big ones. Uh, he said, I mean, he's got over a dozen books at this point, I'm sure. But uh, he, he, at the time that I was there, uh, you know, the theology of the body was kind of brand new, and, and so he was he was still teaching uh, an introductory course on TOB, uh, and that was the first time I encountered it. Um, and, and just in the course of kind of learning more about it and reflecting on it on my own, uh, that's that's what really led me to take the approach toward marriage and family life that that my wife and I take personally, as well as that we try to articulate in our books. Um, because the thing about theology of the body, you know, it's 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 not new in the sense that it's presenting some new Christian teaching or new revelation uh, of the gospel. I mean, Christianity is what it is, and the things that Jesus taught are the things Jesus taught, and the and the received treasure of the church is what the church gives us. But the theology of the body gives us a lens that allows us to see, um, kind of cut to the heart of the gospel, if you will, if that's the way Christopher West puts it. You know, and the, in the course of two thousand years of of being around, the churches has picked up some things that, that can sometimes be a distraction for people. Uh, that's not that they're bad things, it's just that sometimes those things can be overemphasized in, in ways that aren't necessarily uh, healthy or appropriate. And, and the theology of the body helps put all of that into a perspective that allows us to really live the, the, the heart of the gospel in a dynamic and exciting way um, that, that really, I think, helps us rediscover what, what Christ was trying to do, both in our hearts and in society, by calling us into deeper communion with him and with each other. Well, I heard it's uh, one of his first presentations in the Cincinnati area when he got started, and uh, that just blew me away. Christopher, you mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he does amazing work. Yeah, we we first connected actually around, around my book, For Better Forever. Um, he was still uh, the family life director for the Archdiocese of, uh, of Denver at the time. And we started... Oh, okay. Getting, uh, my publisher sent him a review copy of my book, and he actually called me to say, you know, I've, I've read a lot of books on marriage, but but you're the only person I've read that actually gets it. <laughs> and so I knew I liked that guy. Uh, <laughs> so we we, really? we started, a, yeah, we started a good friendship from that point forward. But uh, yeah, so he's he's a great guy. Really, and uh, in Cincinnati, there they have a pretty strong um, uh, program going there in uh, in one section of Cincinnati. There, uh, yeah, they the do. It's called Rural Woods, actually. My um. Believe it or not, yeah. my son, my son Jacob, uh, lives in Cincinnati now. He's actually the the co-host of EWTN's Sunrise Morning Show, which originates out of Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati. So he's plugged into the Catholic community there. Yeah, it's called Rural Woods. It's a it's a it's a practice that's rooted in the theology of the body. Um, and it's, they're they're a good group. So your son is on with uh, one of the family, the girl that's on there. What's her name again? Anna Mitchell. Um, Anna Mitchell. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, he, she, uh, she married into quite one of the family that's very I'm very close to. Oh, nice. So yeah, and um, but so uh, what? Tell can you uh, can you share with us any you know real uh, success stories in, in your work through the years here with, uh, with with what you're doing in this counseling? Yeah, you know, every day is, is is its own success story in a sense that you know you, you're you're able to walk with people and really bring them one step closer to where they need to be. I mean, I, you know, I, I was talking with somebody the other day actually who now that you mention it, um, who who was 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 sharing that they were able to really see themselves in a very different way than than when they first came to sessions. You know, when they when they first came in, they were struggling with depression. Uh, they'd been through some tra- traumatic history, um, you know, gr- being abused growing up, and and really have a very hard time um, accepting that they could be loved um, by anybody, really, and, and and really lived a fairly solitary life. Um, you know, they were successful in their work, and they put all their energy into work. Um, but you know, through the course of of our work together, this person started opening up to to new friendships, uh, became active in their parish. Uh, actually is, is starting a dating relationship now for the first time. And so, you know, to be able to see the, the, the kind of impact that uh, that you're able to have in a person's life, I mean, it's just truly um, inspiring and, and humbling, you know. Um, for example, I got an email the other day from a listener to our radio program. Um, and and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was funny. It started out with a backhanded compliment. She, you know, she said, uh, Dr. Greg and Lisa, I, I have to say I've been listening to your show for a long time. Uh, and at first, 
I used to turn it off all the time because it was just too painful to listen to. I think, well, that, that's horrible, but thanks for writing about that. But she went on to say, but, but the more I listened to it, the more I came to realize that the, that the vision of marriage that you were describing you know, wasn't just made up, that it was, that it was for real and that, that I was settling for too little yeah. in my relationship. And, 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 for t- and the reason it was painful was because I didn't want to believe that God wanted to give me more in my marriage. And, and I finally decided that, uh, that, that I needed to, to, to try to live out what the church was teaching in marriage. And I, and I told my husband that we need to get some help. And he's coming with me to counseling. And for the first time in our marriage in, in 20 years, I feel like I've got some hope. And, I mean, that, that was, that was mind-blowing. I mean, again, I, I wasn't counseling her. I was just, uh, we were, my wife and I were just doing our radio program. But, you know, through the course of the relationship we were able to build up with this woman over time, uh, you know, God touched her heart, and, and he used our ministry to do it. And, and that's, that's really what it's all about for me, um, you know, uh, giving God, letting God use the gifts he's given me uh, to try to bring people closer to him. <clears throat> that's beautiful. I was thinking, um, as you were saying that, that uh, back about 30 years ago, uh, someone shared a prophecy at our prayer meeting, and uh, it was, raise your expectations that God wants to do so much and we expect so little. Mm-hmm. You, you come to me, he says, with your little thimbles or your little Dixie cups and I want to shower you with buckets. And that, that's the way I'm looking at your ministry here, man. You've got stuff here. God just wants to shower these people, right? Well, yeah, and that's one of the reasons we call our show More to Life. Um, the idea that... that I believe. Yeah, there it is. Through the theology of the body, especially, God is reminding the whole church that uh, that there's more than we're settling for. That that we've come, we've become too complacent. That we've taken our cue from what the culture tells us we should be, and the, how the culture tells us we should live. And and God wants to wake us up and say, you know, stop, well, stop settling. In a sense, that doesn't mean, by the way, that, that He wants to give us all a million dollars and a yacht and uh, you know, no. a second house in in uh, you know in in. No. in it means that he wants to open up our hearts and, and, and fill our hearts with the love that, that this world can't give and satisfy the desires of our hearts with, 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 with his grace. Um, and that's not just in some airy, fairy heaven, you know, in the, next, in the next life, not that I'm knocking heaven, don't get me wrong. But I mean, even right now, uh, Father John Ricardo, for example, has a new book out called Heaven Starts Now. Uh, and, you know, he, he of course, is, is very well, uh, well regarded in the theology of the body circles. And his point by saying that is, you know, we, we start cooperating with God's grace now, and that encounter with God's grace allows heaven to be experienced in small ways, this side of heaven. And when we open up our hearts to that, we start seeing with God's eyes what we could be. You know, Pope St. John Paul uh, used to say, become what you are. And that always sounded like kind of a weird Zen sort of thing to say. But, but in truth, you know, what it means is when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we're often disappointed by what we see. We're often disappointed by the broken, fallen mess that's staring back at us. But God, when he looks at us, he doesn't see that. He sees everything he created us to be, and that is what we are. You know, Bob, when you look at your kid, you know, you, you don't just see what they are right now. You see all the things that that, that child could be when they grow up, all, those th- all the things that child will be when they grow up, all the strengths and skills and abilities they have that they can't even necessarily see inside themselves. Um, and, we, and that's who they are. And they're going to spend their lives growing into that. And God the Father looks at us and he sees the same thing in his children. And we're going to spend our lives becoming what we are, what God sees when he looks at us. And so when you say you know, that, that, that we, we tend to settle uh, and that God has more for us, that's how I take that to mean that you know, God wants to make us into saints. He wants to make our relationships, our marriages and families, lights to the world that remind the whole world that, that this kind of love that's free and total and faithful and fruitful and doesn't fail is real, and, and for those children who come to him and really live according to his word, it can be theirs. You know, when you mentioned uh, Father John Ricardo, um, it's just been um, wonderful to watch him grow. Uh, I met him when he was 18 oh my. in Detroit, and uh, he, he was just getting started, but he was, a, he was a product of the charismatic renewal. Yeah, God, look God, at, you know, whatever you say about the charismatic hero, God, God used it in mighty ways, and is still using it in mighty ways uh, to, to, to bring exactly. it to the church, yeah. Yeah, what, what can you say about him? He's dynamic, right? Oh, he's a great guy. 
He's a great guy. He's actually was a really? regular contributor to our program. He's he's busy, so it was hard to to have uh, to keep him on. But uh, but uh, he was uh, for the first uh, six months or so since we were on EWTN, he was a regular contributor. So it was great to have him. Yeah, well, he is he is busy. That's for sure. Well, um, let's talk about some of your books then. Um, uh, and uh, let's see, I want to. Uh, you wanted to talk, I know, about um, this book uh, that really got people's attention, like you said, <laughs> and has been your uh, most successful effort, and uh, that's the book called Holy Sex. And what it says on the cover, A Catholic Guide to Toe-Curling, toe-curling Mind-Blowing, Infallible Loving. There you go. Holy Sex, A Catholic Guide to Toe-Curling, Mind-Blowing, Infallible Loving. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to get some people's attention and shake things up with that one. And, and, and I have. It, it's, it's been wonderful. God's really used the book in, in tremendous ways. Honestly, I expected to be, uh, I expected to be crucified. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, well, you know, because it's a shocking title, and, uh, and I, I take a kind of uh, in-your-face approach to, to the whole book, because I, uh, you know, um, I was kind of inspired by, well, obviously the theology of the body, but, but you know, Pope Benedict uh, said something later on. After, it was after the book was out, but but he, he talked about how you know people the world sees Catholic, the Catholic Church as the Church of No, you know don't do this, don't do that, no to this, no to that. Um, we 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 need to be the Church of Yes that shows people there's a different way, a better way. And you know the, the, our culture is saturated in sex. Um, every song is about sex. Every every story is about sex. Every movie is about sex. And we can we can sort of cluck about that and go hide under a rock, or we can embrace it and 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 say, you know what? God gave sex to the godly. The first command He gave humankind was go forth and multiply. And He wasn't given math homework, boys and girls. And, and so, you know, how how do we as Christian people confront that reality uh, and and say, you know what? God has a plan for this thing that you're fascinated with. Let's talk about what that plan really is and show you how. Again, as Pope Benedict says. That, that eros, when it's united with grace, can can be an experience that that, send, that leads us in ecstasy toward the divine. What an incredible statement! That that somehow eros, erotic love, is supposed to lead us in ecstasy toward the divine. Um, now he goes on to say, but that calls for a path of of ascent and and, and sacrifice and and generosity and love. Uh, so you know, it's not just to have lots of sex and get close to God. There's more to it than that. But but we have the real truth about what sex is, why not proclaim that from the rooftops? And so that's what I wanted to do, get people's attention and say, you know what, let's look at the truth about Catholic sexuality and stop being ashamed of it. Now, some people would say, um, uh, many people, so many people are uh, either unaware or outright rejecting of the church's teaching on sexuality. Why doesn't the church just cut its losses and move on? Well, you know, one thing that people don't realize, um, and, and actually this came up a lot during Pope John Paul's pontificate, you know, um, the way a lot of people put it was, why is he so concerned with what they call pelvic issues? Why, why is he so upset, you know, with, with, with sex and pelvic issues? And why doesn't, why doesn't he get on with the important stuff, you know, about feeding the poor and being, doing a just society and all those things? And those are important things. I'm not knocking that, right? I mean, that's really important right. stuff. Um, but, but here's why Pope John Paul II was so concerned with sexuality. You know, as the first pope whose pontificate was entirely in, uh, after Vatican II, um, you know, I mean, of course, there was Pope John Paul I, but, but he was only around for a month. So Pope John Paul II was the, was the first pope whose pontificate was entirely after Vatican II. One of, the, one of the geniuses of the Second Vatican Council was this idea of the universal call to holiness. You know, prior to Vatican II, there was sort of this perception that uh, marriage was the also-ran sacrament. It was it was the sacrament for the rest of us. You know, if you really wanted to be holy, you'd be a priest or in, in religious life. Um, right. Vatican II really challenged that idea head-on with this idea of the universal call to holiness. You know, previously, um, you know, there was moral theology, which which was concerned with what's the basic minimum requirement for salvation that we could have to hold the the the, the rabble to. And then there's spiritual theology, which the religious uh, priests and religious studied, so that they could draw closer to God. Uh, after Vatican II, the kind of the doors opened up, and 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 it was said, you know, everybody is called to be a saint. Uh, everyone is called to be Christian heroes. Uh, and so, 
in that in that context, Pope St. John Paul uh, the Great started looking at, well, what does a lay spirituality really look like? You know, what does it mean for a lay person to be called to holiness? And if you look at it, I mean, the lay vocation is entirely tied up in our sexuality. I mean, our entire lives are consumed with finding a mate, keeping a mate, um, you know, uh, loving that mate, deciding when to have children, how to have, how many children to have, raising those children to to be loving people, uh, how, teaching those children how they can find healthy mates and keep those. It's all about sexuality. Any lay spirituality that's divorced from sexuality is essentially dead. It's it's a, it's a whited sepulcher uh, that looks all shiny and pious on the outside, but is is really empty and hollow on the inside. So, so he he started to say Pope John Paul II in his Theology of the Body started talking about, you know, here is the way for lay people to become holy, to to bring their sexuality, their ability to give themselves to each other, uh, to God, uh, and and to let God renew that, so that marriage could have the sacramental power it's meant to have, because marriage, of course, is the sacrament of sexuality. It's not, it's not the sacrament of doing dishes together. It's the sacrament of sex. Where we, it, where marriage redeems our sexuality and redeems the way man and woman give themselves to each other, so that we can more powerfully image the Trinity itself—that loving communion that, that is a life-giving love to the world. I mean, that's all really heady, big stuff. But you know, that's the point. You know, that 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 it's not just about pelvic issues. It's not just this little side thing that people are. You know, the, oh, the church is obsessed with the church is obsessed with holiness. The church is obsessed with you becoming a saint. And and for a lay person to become a saint, we need to bring our sexuality to God and say, "Teach us how to use this gift for your good." Because if we don't know how to use that. Then, if we get sex wrong, then we get marriage wrong. If we get marriage wrong, we get family life wrong. If we get family life wrong, we get society wrong. And you can see that just by looking at the news. You can see what, what's happened in the last even ten years uh, after after the sexual revolution. And we've been living sexuality wrong for so many years. It's all because we don't get a proper godly sense of sexuality. And uh, you you um, mentioned uh, the you mentioned that distinction, what you call the holy sex, and then there's eroticism. Right. And I think you you pretty well discussed that situation, but maybe is there anything? Well, more no, you can I mean say? actually, no. Because here's, here's the problem. You know, when when the church says these crazy things I just said about sex, um, people are really put off by it. Uh, they they either laugh it off and think that's ridiculous. You know, why is the church making such a big deal out of this? Or they're offended. You know, they they're really offended because oh my gosh, you know, how could you say something like that about about something as base and uh, you know, and, and, and whatever, as, dis- as disgusting even as, as sex, you know, this basic bodily function. Who, you know, why would you do that? And, and, and so here's the problem. When the church talks about sex, the world hears eroticism. Um, you know, in the book of Galatians, St. Paul lists a whole bunch of things that, that, that you won't see uh, people of faith indulging in. And one of those things he calls eroticism in certain translations. So I, what I did was I made a distinction in the book between what I call holy sex, which is all the things I was just describing to you, versus eroticism, yeah. which is essentially glorified friction. You know, it's, 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 they both feel good. Holy sex and eroticism both feel good. But where, where, where holy sex is life-giving, eroticism causes death and disease. Where holy sex makes us free to be vulnerable with each other and truly love each other, eroticism makes us suspicious of each other and shut down where holy sex um, gives life uh, and is open to life, eroticism is, is terrified of pregnancy and treats fertility as a disease. Where, where holy sex is about bonding two people together for life, eroticism says, let me use you for now, and so on and so forth. So people's experience when they think about sex is actually one of eroticism. And I think we need to do a better job as a church um, of, of talking, of, of helping people understand that when we talk about sex, we're not talking about what they think is sex. We're talking about an entirely different reality um, that's as different as night is from day. Uh, if you will, holy sex is the gold to eroticism's fool's gold. You know, holy sex is the is the the diamond to uh, to, to to eroticism's cubic zirconium. You know, it's it's a knockoff. And, and so we need to help educate the, the consumer, if you will, 
in in the, in the marketplace what the difference is that we're talking about when we talk about sex. Because for the church to continue to talk about sex the way it does to a world that thinks that sex is the same thing as eroticism is a fool's errand because they have no idea what we're talking about. So we need to define our terms. So I do that in the front of the book where I, I explain what is the difference between these two realities and how do you move from that mindset that's soaked in eroticism to one that is open to holy sex. You're a brave man. Yeah. Like I said, I expected to get crucified for this. But, but, but in honesty, I, the, 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 uh, with, a few, with a few notable exceptions, the, the, the book has been extremely well-received. Um, and I, and I, you, know, you were asking about uh, you know, what stories do I have from, from my work. I, was, I never expected this book to have the impact that it had for bringing people back into the church. Uh, I had a wow. Here's, yeah, I had a woman come up to me, and it was actually at a Catholic homeschooling conference. And she said to me, you know, and she was a homeschooling mom of, of six, right? And she said, you know, my boyfriend and I were living together. And my, and, and, and my mom was all upset about it because she was Catholic. And, you know, and, and, and she just didn't, you know, she kept after me and kept after me. I said, yeah, yeah, mom, whatever, yeah, whatever. And she gave me your book, Holy Sex. And I said, wow. oh, great, thanks, mom. And I let it sit there on the, in the, on the floor in the bathroom. By the way, if you ever want to, if anybody ever wants to get your husband to read a book, leave it in the bathroom, take everything else out. Um, but but she, left, she she left on the floor in the bathroom, and so one day she was in there, she and she picked it up and started reading it, and she said I couldn't put it down, and I kept reading it, and I and I realized by the end of the book that God wanted me to have a different kind of relationship and a different kind of life than I had, and I went to my wow. boyfriend, and we started talking, and we started praying together, and then we went to church together, and then one thing led to another, and this Catholic homeschooling mother of six was standing in front of me as a result of what she read in Holy Sex. And I was just, I mean, I'm tearing up as I'm telling the story. I was blown away because it never occurred to me that, that, um, that, that the book could have that kind of impact. But of course it can because, as I said to you just a few minutes ago, if you, when, you get, when you really understand God's plan for our sexuality, then it, then, and it rightly orders our relationships, it rightly orders our life, it gets us back into that, that path to authentic holiness instead of just treating our faith and, and, and the pursuit of holiness as, as this sort of side venture that we do when we go to church, but then we check at the door when we leave the church. So it's, it's been powerful. I've been really, really blessed through this. Oh, thank you for sharing that. You know, that it's so important to have books like this available because people are, you know, learn these other things from movies and I've, I've heard of a couple of uh, one a friend of mine, this girl, said she was having a, a, uh, a discussion with her husband. They were kind of having an argument. And he says, well, Jules, remember how it was in that movie? Right. You know, he was using the movie for, for his reasoning. Sure, and we often do, you know. Um, really? but I will say this. Here's, here's the thing I want to say about that, though. I think that, that the way to make progress on that is, is not necessarily by going to, by, to people and kind of criticizing the, 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 the Hollywood version of sex and, and saying, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I know. What we, no, what we need to do is say what we've got is even better because there's something good about right. it. When, we see, when, they, when people are attracted to those images in the movies or television or even pornography, for that matter, God forbid, you know, they see something that, that their hearts want. Now, it's twisted, obviously. It's twisted terribly, you know, especially in pornography. But they're attracted to something there. They're attracted to people who are comfortable with their bodies, or at least giving the illusion of that. They're attracted to this idea of connection with another person. And what we can say is, you know what, eroticism, that eroticism thing you're looking at in, in, in Hollywood or in pornography or whatever, you know, that, that, that's, that's, sort of like, um, that's sort of like Las Vegas. You know, it, 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 it's big flashy lights get you in the front door with promises of, 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 of $1.99 roast beef and, and all you can, you know, eat buffets and lots of, lots of weird. Yeah. And then it dumps you out the back end a lot poorer for the experience. That's eroticism. But here I have an experience that, that's even better. I have an experience of holy sex, right, which is like a cathedral or a, a, a symphony or a, an art museum where you go in and it really doesn't cost you that much on the front end. And what it does, though, is it, is it elevates you. It brings you to a new place. It raises you to new heights. And so, yes, what you're longing for, what you're looking for is good, you know, and, and I'm not going to criticize you for being drawn to that, but I'm going to show you that if you want to get that need met, here's the place to do it. Uh, and, 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 and that's where, that's where the, holy, the holy sex comes in, you know, because it, it really satisfies the desires of our hearts. We don't repress those. We re-express those in, in godly and graceful ways. 
You talk about pornography. I <clears throat> interviewed a man the other day uh, a couple weeks ago. It uh, had got into drugs and pornography and things like that and when he was in high school. And he was in it for, I think, 30 years. And he was just, he would uh, watch pornography from 7 o'clock Friday morning till 8 o'clock Sunday night in his apartment. You know, he just, that's all he did. And uh, he was so depressed and so forth. And to show you how God uses everything, he and his brother somehow got to this movie, uh, The Passion of Christ. And when there was a scene where Jesus was coming out of the cave, I don't, I don't remember the scene myself, but it just grabbed this guy. He, he was, he, he just, uh, somehow it just got a hold of him. And that was the beginning of his conversion. It's amazing. God, God reaches us out. It reaches us in some traumatic, in, in dramatic, and, and sometimes traumatic, but dramatic ways, and, and, and often in ways we least expect. And your, and your book, you know, how, how your book was used in such a powerful way there. Well, you know, I, and, 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 and I'll share another story briefly, if you don't mind. Um, I was uh, you know, I'm, at the Society for Catholic Social Sciences in, in, uh, in, in Brooklyn, Queens, at St. John's University. And uh, I was actually speaking about this book, Holy Sex. And I was in the, I, I, I had a few minutes before the talk, so I was just going over my notes in the hotel bar. Uh, and it was me and, uh, and, one of the, and one of the guy who was attending the conference, and that was it. We were the only two people in the, in the restaurant bar. And the waitress came over and, you know, started talking, and, and she saw that she, she said, so what are you speaking on? I said, you, you, you really want to know? And she said, yeah, yeah, what are you, what are you, what are you speaking on? I said, well, I'm doing a talk called Holy Sex, The Catholic Guide to Mind-Blowing, Toe-Curling, Infallible Loving. And she just sort of looked at me and said, can Catholics even do that? Is that okay? <laughs> and then she went away. You know, we laughed. She went away. She came back. She brought, you know, whatever. And, and then she says, you know, so what's that all about? And I started telling her the stuff about eroticism versus holy sex that I was just sharing with you. She said, oh, that's interesting. And then she walked away. And she came back with a refill, you know, iced tea. And then said, yeah. So, you know, I'm living with my boyfriend, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I always kind of wanted to get married, but he doesn't really want to, and, and I don't know. I guess, you know, and I said, well, you know, that's kind of what this book's all about, you know, just, just really seeing what you're worth in God's eyes and, and how, you know, he wants so much more for you than, than very often we settle for. And, you know, there's this longing in your heart for, for marriage, and, and, you know, you, you're, you're frustrated right now because you're not getting that, and, and God wants to give you more than what you're settling for right now. And she says, wow, I never really thought of it that way. And then she went away and came back. And we just, yeah, it was just us, me, my friend, and, and this waitress in, the, in this bar talking about holy sex. And, and it was touching her heart because it was speaking to wow. the fact that she was desiring longing and communion um, mm -hmm. and settling for so much less. And, and, and we were able to show her that there's a better way. Now, you know, that was the only encounter I ever had with her. I don't know what happened, but I like to think that, that God used that moment to plant some seeds. And I know that, that God's using this book to plant a, a whole harvest uh, in, in people's hearts. That's beautiful. I'm making, uh, putting some things on my Christmas list right now, <laughs> including that book, Holy <laughs> Sex. <laughs> really? Okay, why do people have such a negative view of the church when it comes to sexuality? Like well, you know, as I was sharing with you before, I think Pope Benedict said it best when he said that people tend to look at the church as the, the church of the big no. You know, we, wag, we, we think of us as the figure waggers or, or Dana Carvey's old church lady character on SNL, you know. Yeah. Um, Isn't that special, you know. Uh, and that's how, that's how we often come across. And, you know, to be fair, I mean, uh, you know, that's not entirely made up. You know, there's, there's a big stream of that in the church even. Uh, in fact, uh, it, it's a heresy that's gone under different names throughout the centuries, Manichaeism, uh, Jansenism. Uh, and, but basically what, what that heresy is that grew up along the side of Christianity is the belief in a sort of dualistic world where there's a good spirit and a bad body. Um, and, and, and that pleasure is bad because it could possibly be abused, therefore we must avoid it all. Um, and, you know, this, this idea of Jansenism, Bishop Jansen uh, was a French bishop uh, who, who kind of tried to out-Calvin the Calvinists, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in saying that, 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 that pleasure was, was just, you know, bad, essentially, and that uh, you should never go to communion in your, in your life, and that, uh, you know, and, and, and it really caught on. 
uh, in a lot of France. Well, Ireland was sending its seminarians to France at that time, and Irish seminarians got infected with this Jansenism, uh, this very punitive kind of uh, scrupulous attitude towards spirituality and, and this sort of conde- condemnatory nature of the outlook on the body. And, you know, Ireland then became infected with this. And, of course, then during the big uh, immigration, uh, American Catholicism became infected with this, this whole strain of Jansenism. And, and I think, and, and Western Christianity in general. And I think one of the reasons that Pope St. John Paul the Great gave us the theology of the body was to combat this, this, this virus that was growing in the church that, that was causing us to hate the very body that God gave us to give ourselves to each other in a, in a holy, blessed, and, and beautiful union. Uh, and the theolo- and that was, so what I was saying before, that over 2,000 years of history, the church has kind of picked up some stuff along the way, that some good, some bad, and the theology of the body gives us a lens to be able to see through the stuff that's not supposed to be there, or put other stuff in perspective and allow us to see the heart of the gospel. That's part of what I was talking about. The theology of the body allows us to sort of, with a laser cut through the Jansenistic tendrils that have, we- that have woven itself around the heart of the church and is trying to strangle the love that's at the heart of the gospel uh, and cut that out. And so that, that's, you know, uh, that's why the, the people think of the church as this big negative thing because they've experienced this Jansenistic approach, this body-hating, pleasure-hating, sex-hating approach to church, which is not Catholic at all. In fact, Jansenism was, was the heresy so nice it had to be condemned twice, two different popes denounced Jansenism as a heresy, but it still continues to define people's idea of what Catholicism really is. And, and so this book... Too bad. Yeah. So, uh, what guidance can you give couples who are struggling with uh, conflict about their sexual issues in their marriage? Well, you know, in, in the book I present uh, several what I call the pleasure principles, right? I mean, the, 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 for all, the, for all the, the, the nattering on about all the rules the church has... There's one rule, that, that, that every uh, act of intimacy should be procreative and unitive. Um, now, that means technically that the man needs to climax inside the woman. And, but that's not all there is to it. I mean, sometimes critics have gotten that far in the book and they say, well, Popchak just says that. You know, and that Popchak doesn't say anything like that at all. What Popchak says is that you know, every act has to be, like the church says, unitive and procreative. And, and that means that the, at a minimum that the man needs to climax inside the woman. But beyond that, there's a whole process of forming our hearts and our consciences and our minds to, to reflect God's love. And, and there are, I give four principles that I suggest that couples take to prayer and communication to be able to really live this out. And the first principle is that there should be a continuity between the daily relationship and the sexual relationship. You know, the short version of this is, you know, if, if you want... You know, a more joyful sexual relationship, you've got to start by having a more joyful day-to-day marriage. If you want a more intimate sexual relationship, you've got to ask yourself, how much time do we spend being emotionally intimate with each other through the day? You know, if you want a more playful sexual relationship, you've got to start by asking yourself, how much do we play with each other all day long? And then you'll have your answer, because you can't have one relationship in the bedroom and another relationship in the rest of your life, because then it's a lie. Uh, the second principle is, you know, while you should never be afraid to explore all the permitted pleasures... You should never be tempted to see each other merely as givers and receivers of pleasure, that we must always respect the dignity of each other as persons. You know, and, and the idea there is that, that pleasure isn't bad as long as it affirms and builds each other up. Uh, when, we, when we start seeing people as a means to the end of pleasure, that's when we start to thingify people, turn them into objects, and use them instead of building them up and loving them as human persons. Uh, and I talk about you know anything you do in the bedroom or or anything you wear or talk the ways you talk to each other in the bedroom. It, it's never about that. That things should never become the primary point of the sexual relationship, but rather they should be seen as the means that you employ to experience the fullness of each other's love. You know, in, in, in a lot of sexual arguments, you know, couples will get into this thing. Well, we didn't do that position, or you didn't say that thing, or we didn't, and it becomes all about that one thing, and they obsess about doing that thing. Sex isn't about yeah. putting on a performance or a show. It's not about doing that thing. It's about loving each other and being present to each other. That doesn't mean certain positions are bad uh, as long as they're moral. It doesn't mean that, that uh, you know, what you do in the bedroom is you have to be all, you know, according to Hoyle, so to speak. But you have to be loving, and you have to recognize that this is a person that I'm with, and, I, and they deserve to be respected as a person. And then finally, you know, I, the last point I make in the book about this is, is when a lover's comfort, while a lover's comfort zones 
shouldn't be the final arbiter in sexual disputes, you know, what makes me comfortable or not comfortable. Uh, feelings related to comfort zones have to be respected, right? So a lover's discomfort is reason enough to delay doing something, you know, in the bedroom, uh, even if it's not entirely enough to completely rule it out in the future. Couples should continue to evaluate all permitted pleasures. Again, it's not, not talking about immoral stuff, but every once in a while, you know, a couple will get into arguments about frequency or about, as you said, this position or that, and they're not immoral things, they're just preferences. The rule there, of course, is generosity, of self-donation, opening ourselves up to be more and more vulnerable to each other. But that's also scary. So we have to be patient with each other and loving to each other and continue revisiting the conversation, not just saying, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't feel comfortable, but also not saying, well, you better do that if you, don't lo- if, you, if you love me. And so we get past that polarized argument and really start to enter into a deeper communion about, well, what does it mean to you that we do this? And, and how can I help you get past that discomfort by loving you better and more and, and so on? I unpack those principles in the book, but, but they're just basic principles for informing people's um, prayerful discernment about how to live out their sexuality around those prudential matters in marriage. Uh, when, what you were saying earlier is like, for example, um, you know, the way we treat, uh, treat our wives uh, in just everyday activities is, is kind of like foreplay, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, there was an old book called Sex Begins in the Kitchen, uh, and, and, and the point was basically that what I was saying in that first pleasure principle, that, that um, we have a tendency to separate our sexual, our sexual selves, our sexual lives, from the rest of our life. We have a tendency yeah. to think that I close the bedroom door and I'm a different person now. Um, and that's not how it works. You know? uh, that might be how eroticism works. You know, I close the bedroom do- door and I put on a persona and I pretend to be something. And you pretend to be something. And we pretend together. But you know what? That gets old. And it gets boring. And, and soon, at, at some point, that dies. And a lot of people talk about how their sex life dies in marriage. They had a great sex life before they got married, and it died in marriage. Well, that's why. Because they were pretending. But now, married sex is about real love. It's about real life. And you have to recognize that what goes on in your everyday life is going to be carried with you into the bedroom. And if that's a mess, then you're going to have a mess in the bedroom, too. So it's, it's all about asking yourself, how do you love and serve and care for each other all day long? And if you want to have a more passionate, vital, playful, uh, intimate, vulnerable sex life, you have to have a more passionate, vital, intimate, vulnerable marriage life in general. And that's, that's how sex then leads to holiness because my desire for that communion makes me want to do the hard work of opening up not just my body but my heart and my soul to my spouse. That's beautiful. When uh, when we were talking about you being crucified, uh, how's how's Christopher West doing? Uh, he was he he ran into some strong persecution early on, didn't he? He, he did. He did. And, and you know, we both taken our lumps along the way. But you know, um, yeah. You know, and and, and uh, but but it's it's you know it, it's all resolved really quite well. You know, people see the truth in it, and and you know, it, it's it's a little disturbing. For example. You know, I was talking with uh, Dr. Sebastian Mahfoud uh, before the show, and he, uh, he, yeah. he was, was referring to uh, Alice von Hildebrandt uh, criticized my book, Holy Sex, as part of a larger criticism of Christopher West's work. Um, but, you know, I mean, in, in, and I, I love Dr. Alice um, very much, and, and her work, of course, uh, and her husband's work, Dietrich. Um, but, you know, what she admitted in the interview was she actually never read the book. She got as far as the title and was kind of put off by it. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, kind of criticized it. And then on top of that, you know, when people, and in, the, in a subsequent interview, when they asked her, well, what do you think about the theology of the body? She said, well, I never read the theology of the body, but I know enough about it because it was based on my husband's work. Well, I mean, to some degree that's true, but you, you really can't criticize something adequately if you haven't bothered to take the time to read it and understand it. So, you know, that's kind of been the, the case in, 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 uh, for, for all the people who've criticized my work or Christopher's work. They, they pick up yeah. a line here. They pick up a sentence there. They pick up right. a snap from YouTube, and they say, oh, my gosh, you know, Popcheck said this, West said that, and they go off to town yep. and write articles on the Internet to slam us. And, you know, whatever. Uh, the, the truth is when you sit down and you actually look at what the theology of the body says, what our books teach, it's completely consistent with the, with the church, and, more importantly, it changes hearts. And we're out of time, and we certainly appreciate your 
being with us on this program, Dr. Greg Popkak, who is a new director of a Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies program at Holy Apostles. And we kind of gave people there at Holy Apostles a little introduction to you. I think we know you better now. Yeah, I really downloaded a lot of stuff there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Really? It was great. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Bob. And we'll hope to see you again sometime. Amen. And in the meantime, may God bless every one of us in the name of Jesus, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.